Um, and one of the things that she prophesied was this picture of me um, in my future. And I was washing the dishes or making dinner or something. And um, I had two little kids running through my house. And um, the spirit was moving through my house. And it was just this really beautiful picture of um, my future. And a couple months ago, I was cooking dinner. And there was worship music playing, and my kids were running through the house. And it dawned on me that this was the prophetic picture coming, to, coming true right before my eyes. Right before my eyes, how good is God? But you know what? I was actually not super grateful or thankful. I was actually pretty annoyed. Can I just cook dinner in peace? Stop crying, stop fighting, like just leave me alone, just let me cook you dinner. It's funny how that all happens. This prophetic picture was actually something that got me through about a year or so of trying for Judah and a couple early miscarriages. And by the way, if you're here this morning and if you've experienced loss, I just want to say that I'm sorry and there's comfort and hope and healing through Jesus. You know, all of these stories bring me to this. Why is this role as a mother, one that I've dreamed of since I was a little girl, um, and that's more precious to me than words can describe, also one of the most difficult roles I've ever had. This journey of motherhood has led me to ask some tough questions. What is important about what I'm doing? Do I have as much purpose as my husband? You gotta love those comparison questions. Is my, mom, is my role as a mom lesser than others? Should I be doing something more? Most of my day is spent wiping butts and providing an absurd amount of snacks. <laughs> the role that is supposed to bring me so much joy and fulfillment is actually something that I struggle to find contentment with a lot of times. And I've realized that as humans, we have the propensity to not be satisfied with where we are right here and right now. We're always looking to the next thing, always trying to find purpose in a future endeavor. How could washing the dishes or changing diapers glorify God? But what if I told you that the mundane moments of our life, the here and the now are actually exactly what we're supposed to be doing with our life and where God wants to do his work? If I had to title this message, I would title it, Finding Purpose in the Mundane. Pray with me. Jesus, I thank you, God, that you have purpose for each and every single one of us. You have unique calling for all of us that only we can accomplish through you, God. I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts this morning, that we would hear what you wanted to speak, God, and that Holy Spirit, you would speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, I have come to the conclusion that God likes to use messy, ordinary people. I am a living, breathing testament to that today. I don't really have time to go into my testimony. Maybe we'll save that for another day. But there are probably a million different reasons why I could give you right now why God shouldn't use me and why I shouldn't be standing here. Rachel, do you remember who you used to be? What you used to do? You're just a mom. What do you have to bring to the table? I'm convinced, though, that God loves to use unqualified, ordinary, messy people. It's all throughout the scriptures. Let's just take a moment and go through a list of some of the unqualified, ordinary men and women God chose to work through to do some of the most unexpected things. Noah. He drank too much, but God, by the way, if you ever see but God in scripture, it's a beautiful contrasting statement. Um, this isn't scripture, but God used Noah to build the ark to save the world. 
Abraham and Sarah, they were old, washed up, struggling with faith, but God used them to build a nation. Joseph was an entitled teenager who went through God's classroom, training him to save both Egypt and Israel. Moses was a stutterer who was God's spokesman and leader. Hard stop. If you don't think God has a sense of humor, God chose someone who has a stuttering problem to be his spokesman. Like, don't tell me he can't use you. Rahab was a prostitute who God used to help his spies and overtake Jericho. David was an adulterer and arranged for the murder of his lover's husband and disobeyed God's direction. Jonah was an escapist who, got, who God brought back to save Nineveh. Esther, she was the adopted orphan who became queen to save Israel. Peter was outspoken and impulsive, and when he had the chance to defend Jesus, he denied him three times. Paul was an enemy and persecutor of Christians who became the most prolific Christian in the New Testament. Insert your name here. We all have a story and a past that God wants to redeem and make new and use for his kingdom. And I think I have the tendency and we have the tendency to despise the small little things, the little errands that we've been requested to run, the job before the dream job, the wiping of butts and the endless snacks and the lunches we must pack. We disqualify ourselves in so many different ways and let shame whisper little lies to us that keep us from the future that God has planned for us. We compare ourselves to others and we forget that we are fearfully and wonderfully made with a unique purpose that only we can accomplish with God. And this brings me to the question that we sometimes ask ourselves and journey through in this life. What is my purpose? Can I find purpose in what I'm doing right now? I like this quote by Oswald Chambers. We tend to set up success in Christian work as our purpose, but our purpose should be to display the glory of God in human life, to live a life hidden with Christ and God in our everyday human conditions. That means that whatever you are doing, whether you are running errands, whether you are meeting friends, all of it can be used to display the glory of God and spread his love to others. As many of you know, Zach and I were with a missions organization for a while, YWAM. There should be a picture that comes up here in a second of that. Um, we stayed in Thailand, but we stayed in multiple locations. Um, and at the tail end of the trip, we went to this mountain village called Maasai. It was absolutely beautiful, but it was also a big culture shock. It was a northern village that bordered Myanmar, and our job there was to teach English, um, which I really liked. I liked teaching. We got to teach these little school kids, and they were so cute, and it was fun. Um, but somehow, they found out that Zach used to work in coffee and that he was a barista. And in this village, there was this interesting history where this beautiful transformation happened. What used to be opiate fields got transformed into coffee fields. And there was this restoration that happened from selling drugs to selling coffee. And so when they found out that Zach, um, when they found out when Zach had a history of coffee, he became this weird local celebrity and they tried to just suck every ounce of coffee knowledge out of him. In fact, they started loading us up in their trucks and taking us around the village to teach people about coffee. And I remember thinking, this isn't really what we came here to do. <laughs> Zach knew about coffee, but the rest of us really didn't. And so we kind of were like, hmm, what should we be doing? Shouldn't we be doing more traditional mission work? 
But you know what actually happened? There were so many doors were opened because of this. We got to pray with people. We got to be welcomed into people's homes. Like just so many awesome opportunities happened that wouldn't have probably if Zach didn't work in coffee. And as I grow and I mature and I learn more about Jesus, I actually think it's less about what we are doing and our title and our position and our occupation, more about our heart and our relationship with God and how we display that to others. Which brings me to a few key things that I think God is after. Number one, God is looking at our heart. Romans eleven thirty three through 34 says, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? God called David a man after my own heart. Man, if I get to the end of my life and like that was my reputation, I'd be like, job well done, Rachel. What an awesome way to be remembered, a man after my own heart. But you know what? David, for all of his failures, had a firm faith in God and in his forgiving nature. And these weren't little failures. These were murder and adultery and just disobedience to God. He was quick to confess his sins from his heart, and he became the greatest king of Israel. God forgave him and used him. Peter was a leader among the disciples and showed great enthusiasm He boldly professed his faith in Jesus as Messiah, and Jesus picked Peter as the rock on which he would build his church. God used Paul's training as a Pharisee and his tenacity to transform him into a great preacher of the gospel. When Paul personally met Jesus, he was a completely changed man from the inside out. God used each of these men, as improbable as it may seem, On their own, their past or their actions should probably disqualify them, but their willingness to say yes to God and their heart condition towards him changed the trajectory of their lives. I think that we need to have soft hearts towards God, willing to turn to him and ask for forgiveness so God can use us and empower us, and this is not a one-time thing. This is not just like, oh, we say the sinner's prayer and, you know, that's it. No, it is a daily turning toward the Lord. God, have my heart. God, forgive me. It's a conversation. Number two, God is looking for people to admit their weakness. How many of you feel fully qualified for God to use right now? I would wager to bet that most of us don't. Do you ever feel too ordinary for God to use? I know I do. Why me, God? I don't have much to offer. Someone else could probably do a better job. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think that they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. A theme across all scripture are God using ordinary men and women to accomplish his purposes. Isn't it interesting that God didn't use the Pharisees and elders of his day when he first came on the scene as examples? They were the most learned. They knew the most in society about God. They had the whole Torah memorized. Instead, he regularly challenged them and spoke out about their hard hearts. They were jealous, self-righteous, and full of themselves and religion, and they loved power. You know who he did use, though? 
12 simple, ordinary men. Fishermen, tax collectors, teachers, accountants. Jesus transformed the disciples through teaching, admonishing, transforming, and empowering, and he does no less for us. The key, though, is our willingness to say yes. Everybody say yes. We just need to say yes to God and then listen, learn, surrender, and draw close to him. And he will take our faithful little hearts and do extraordinary things. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, The Lord does not look at things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. Number three, God is looking for broken people to turn to him. This isn't something new, but I think it's important to say that life is hard. The older I get, the more I realize how much trauma and struggle are all a part of our everyday lives. We all have stories of hurts and disappointments and struggles. And a lot of times I think we let these things become reasons why we disqualify ourselves. This is an area I'm still working through. Am I good enough? God, don't you want somebody who can represent you better? But this is where God does some of his best work. Jesus said in Mark 2.17, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think that they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. If there is one thing that I have learned about God is that he is a master mess cleaner upper. For him, no problem. In fact, he had the answer to your mess or your problem before the world was even created. The scripture says that God was crucified before the world that was created. The sovereignty of God is just, that's another message. God does some of his best work when we let him into our mess and into our hurt. And isn't it freeing to know that you don't have to have it all together for Jesus to use you? He can use you right here today, just as you are. You know, I think most people don't find their purpose in the mundane because we don't have the right perspective. What if your everyday tasks, interactions, and errands are actually exactly what you're supposed to be doing for the kingdom? 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12 says, and make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Now, I'm not saying that we quit our jobs and we pick up a trade and we work with our hands, but what I mean to emphasize is that your daily life should gain the respect of non-Christians. It should be influential. It shouldn't look like the world that wants to suck us in. We should be salt and light to a broken and hurting world. In Matthew 22, Jesus is asked a question, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I love the simplicity of this scripture, how it can just come and cut right in. Do you want to know how to succeed at life? What you're supposed to be doing according to Jesus, how to live a life fully, of lo fully alive? Love God and love others. And sometimes I think we make it so much more complicated than it has to be. Are you actively loving God, pursuing him, creating time and space for him? And are you doing the same for his image bearers? Creating community doesn't just fall into our lap. 
We have to spend time together. And this, the, the world loves, I think, to try to push us into isolation now more than ever. You know, we go home. I know after my kids go to sleep, I get in my bed and I get on my phone and I get the little hit of serotonin that your phone gives you, and it's good. But we're not designed for that. The world wants to try to isolate, and God is saying, no, love God and love others. Now, I'm not saying that um, there isn't times where God calls us into something new. I was working a regular job and felt God call me into missions. I quit everything. I sold my car. I moved to Montana. I followed the Lord, and that felt radical to me. But I think in the majority of life isn't lived in these radical moments. The majority of life is lived in these little mundane moments. These little interactions with people, with regular people, regular things. Are we inviting God into those spaces? It can be as simple as having an awareness of him and having a continuing conversation with him in our head. Our society doesn't help this. It's always pushing us to do the next thing, to accomplish something new, to pick up a new side hustle or make some extra money here or there, to find purpose in yourself or your job or your bank account. The world is not our friend. Who here likes the Enneagram? If you've ever spent time with Zach and I, we will probably ask you what your Enneagram is. Um, we think it's a fun personality profile. I know people have a lot of different thoughts about it, but we just think it's a, a cool way to see how we're made. And I am an Enneagram 3, which my nickname is The Achiever. My personality profile would tell you that I'm bent to be highly driven for, an, for advancement and can have problems with workaholicism and competitiveness. My basic desire is to feel valuable and worthwhile. If I am not doing something or creating something, watch out because I will try. And I realized in this that I have to be careful. If I am not focused to what God has called me to in the season, which right now is being a mom, being a wife, serving the local church, I can get off track. And what I mean by off track is that I have the tendency to like to start little businesses. I see someone doing something and I'm like, I can do that. I could do that. And I could make some money for that. And then the next thing you know, I'm creating elderberry syrup and I'm staying up till midnight trying to sell it to people. And I wake up tired and I don't have any energy to take care of my kids. I'm doing something God hasn't even called me to do. And I think our culture pushes this. There's a hustle to it. It's important to be on task and on mission for what God has called you to do and be faithful and obedient to that. Has God called you to be a nurse? Has he called you to be retired? Are you just staying at home with your kids right now? Amazing, good, that is wonderful, but do it while loving God and loving others. I love this passage in Colossians, Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a, result, as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Let me repeat that. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. The implications of this statement are profound. I could stay here for hours. This means that whatever we are doing, we're actually serving the Lord. We all have a purpose. We are all image bearers of God. 
meant to love God and love others and bring his kingdom to a broken and hurting world in our everyday lives. I want to close with the story of Ananias. Gabrielle, you can come up. No, not Ananias and Sapphira that God struck down. That's a story for another time. This Ananias is mentioned in the Bible only once in Acts 9. Let's read. Acts 9, 10 through 12. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Ananias is not one of the most notable characters in the Bible. All we know about him is this one single incident. God sent him to a blinded Saul, who later became Paul, to restore his sight. He was initially reluctant to do this because Saul was persecuting Christians at the time. But he obeyed and he found Saul and he placed his hands on him and he saw his eyes open. And then Ananias disappeared off the record. In the history of Christianity, Saul, who became Paul, is a giant going on to write more than half of the New Testament, while Ananias has only a small, small little part. He was just an ordinary disciple. He wasn't a pastor or a teacher or an elder or an evangelist. He was a disciple, a follower of Christ. But what an important part it was. God used Ananias at the beginning of Paul's ministry and his willingness to say yes to God allowed him to be part of the miracle that God did in Paul's life. The truth is that most of us are not called to be a Paul. We are called to be an Ananias. As Christians, we're all disciples who should regularly hear from the Lord and carry out his kingdom work. We should be content to serve in the little ways that God has called us, in the place that you currently are. Don't fall for the trap of believing that you have too little to offer, or that you're too ordinary to be used. You know, I may be just a mom, but maybe I'm raising somebody who's gonna change the world. Some of you met Judah and he's a force. <laughs> I get to shape their little hearts and their little minds and teach them to love God and love others. And who knows the fruit that will come from that. My mom is sitting here today and if it wasn't for her, I obviously wouldn't be physically here, but I would not be spiritually here as well. She created that foundation. And what an important role, mothers. But on the surface, sometimes it just feels like I'm changing diapers and giving out snacks. You see, it's not so much about our ability, it's more so about our availabil availability. You may never know the impact of your faithful obedience in this life, but we live not for this life, but of the life of the world to come. Our purpose is that whatever we are doing in this life, we do it while loving God and loving others, faithfully bringing the kingdom of God to earth and shining his light to all. That is a purpose that we can hold on to. Let's close our eyes. We're gonna go into a little time of ministry. 
Jesus, I thank you that you're so near and you're here and you're ministering to us. I just wanna give an opportunity this morning, if anybody is here and they have not accepted the Lord into their heart, but you feel that tugging, you wanna know him, you want a relationship with him, it's really as easy as turning towards him. So with your eyes closed, if you would like a relationship with Jesus, just turn towards him, say, Jesus, I need you, I love you, I want a relationship with you, forgive me of my sins. And he comes immediately. And if you do do that this morning, we wanna pray with you. We wanna walk this out with you. So come talk to Zach and I, we're happy to pray with you. What an important decision that is. And then for the rest of us with our eyes closed, I want us to just take a second and settle and imagine your everyday life in your mind right now. Think about it. Whether you're driving, you're going to work, you're doing mom things, I want you to picture it in your mind. And now I want you to picture allowing God right into those places. Ask God to reveal how he wants to be a part of those things. Speak to us, Jesus. speak to us. We invite you to come into those areas. We pray, God, that you would illumine, illuminate how you want us to reveal you to the world, God. That we would include you in every single, every single thought and action, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you, God. We give you this time this morning. We thank you that everybody here is fearfully and wonderfully made with a unique purpose that you have put inside them. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would breathe on that purpose, that it would become fully alive to them, God. I thank you for all the mothers in here, Lord. I thank you for the whole spectrum. I pray that they would be filled up, that you would instill in them that they're doing kingdom work. And for all those who are hurting today, God, I just pray that you would meet them. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you speak, that you love us, that you love to be with us, God, and there's always more. We know that your kingdom is better than any kingdom that we could think of ourselves. So we love you, Jesus. It is in your precious name we say, amen.